0: not the end it is only the beginning for those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ and uh, a little bit jealous I see none of you want to go today yesterday afternoon I was creating a file folder put in a file cabinet and I got out one of my label makers to create that a label that is legible on the file Um, because, well, anyway, I pressed the button to turn it on, and and nothing happened. I was working in this building at the time, so I walked over to my office in the building next door, uh, got into my box of batteries, um, took out the old batteries, put in four different batteries, and pushed the button, and nothing happened. I opened up the battery case, turned the batteries, all four of them around, end for end, thinking that I'd put them in backwards, pushed the button, nothing happened. I got out my spray of deoxidizer that put on uh, little contacts that cleans up the oxidation, sprayed it, cleaned it all up, pushed the button, nothing happened. As a last resort, I reached into my desk, pulled out my battery tester, and tested the four batteries that I just put in that looked to be brand new. Three of them said, needs to be replaced. So I went back to the box, found some more batteries, tested them before I put them in the machine, and lo and behold, pushed the button and I was able to print my label um a little later in the evening had a similar experience with my left ear my hearing aid Um, they communicate and if i push the button on one of them it communicates with the other one or push this button it communicates. they were not communicating the battery tester that i still had on my desk told me I needed a new battery. In our ongoing study of John's letter to the church in Asia Minor, he outlined for us three areas of testing to test whether or not our faith in Christ is authentic. Three areas of testing that validate my claim to be a Christian. We talked about those three tests clear back in chapter one a few weeks ago. But there's one thing about John and his writing styles. He keeps coming back to the same points over and over again, expounding on them and, and, and enlarging on them. The first test that he talked about is the ethical test. The ethical test. How do you live? How do you live? We, we have... Several times in the past few weeks, we have come to this point that if you're in Christ, you're going to be obedient to his word. You are going to do what God says to do. There's going to be an ongoing effort to walk in holiness because you've been made holy by faith, and now you're going to live that out. Without works, my faith isn't real, it's dead. The second test is the relational test. Who do you love? Who do you love? He makes it very clear. If I say that I love God and I don't love people that I can see, then I really don't love God. I'm lying to myself. So do you love the Lord? The test is, do you love me? Do you love the person across the aisle today? The person sitting next to you. Who do you love? The third test is the doctrine test. What do you believe? What do you believe? That's the test we're going to come back to this morning. What do you believe? And more specifically, and I put it at the bottom of the screen, what do you believe about Jesus? That is of utmost importance. The most important thing in your life is what you believe about Jesus Christ. Who is he? John is writing this letter because there is a a doctrinal crisis in the church, especially in Ephesus, where there's a man who is leading a false teaching about Jesus Christ. There is a doctrine being pushed that denied that Jesus was God in the flesh. The core belief of this group of people was that Jesus was just a man, who happened to be in an audience one day when John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan River. When he got baptized, God chose to put his spirit on him, and he walked with the Spirit of God upon him for three years. But when it came time to die on the cross, the Spirit of God went back to heaven, and that man, Jesus in the flesh, died and was buried, and that's the last we see of him. That's what they believe, the Gnostics. And John is coming against that. And each time he comes against that, that that false teaching, he gets a little stronger in his statement. Let me ask you this. If this was your first Sunday in a brand new church, and when you attended the church, the kind greeters gave you a bulletin. And the intro to that bulletin had what is on the screen right now. Yeah, okay, go ahead. The mission of the church. The mission of the blank temple is to encourage benevolence, empathy, reject tyrannical authority, advocate practical common sense, oppose injustice, and undertake noble pursuits. Is that impressive? Don't you want to be part of a group of people who encourage people? And and part of a group of people who are benevolent and have empathy and reject that kind of authority? Advocate practical common sense? Oh, how the world needs practical common sense. Oppose injustice? Everybody wants to be part of noble pursuits, being part of something bigger than yourself. Sounds like a great church, doesn't it? You all look at me like I'm trying to trap you. Do you know where you find that? There is a website titled The Satanic Temple. And that's the mission statement on the website for the Satanic Temple. It sounds really good. And righteous. So how in the world do we learn from truth and error? How do we know that that is not the truth? How do we know that that's a lie? How do you know when someone is feeding you a line of lies when it comes to spiritual things? Today, John is going to elaborate for a moment on the doctrine test. So let's read the first few verses of chapter 4, 1 John. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We're given a command, test the spirits, test the spirits. Test what is being said in the name of the Lord for genuineness. This word test infers, test it to see if it's genuine. Test it to see. Cubic zycronia can fool some folks at a glance. There's some beautiful rings and beautiful jewelry that's made out of cubic zirconia, And the great thing about it is it compared to a diamond, it's a whole lot cheaper. And a lot of people when they buy a diamond, they want to test it to make sure they're not getting the cubic. And you can go on Google and you can find out numerous ways to test whether or not what you have is cubic zirconia or a diamond told that cubic zycronium will float in water and a diamond will go to the bottom I'm told when you hold it up to the light that there's being a difference in the way the light shines there's numerous ways but you test it to see if it's real he said I want you to test the spirits when these people are saying something to you and saying thus saith the Lord test where that spirit is coming from And the test is, what do they say about Jesus? What do they say about Jesus? Verse 2 said, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. There are people in John's day who could not wrap their mind around the teaching, the fact that Jesus was God in the flesh. It was a miracle far too great for them to believe. To them he was just a good man. There are cults and religions in the world today that will acknowledge that Jesus lived. He was a good man. But that's as far as they'll go. A good prophet. They ignore passages of Scripture like John 14:15 and 16, where Jesus clearly spoke of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The Bible teaches us Jesus is fully God and fully man. He is fully God and fully man. He's God in the flesh. God incarnate. He is Emmanuel, God with us. John 1 -1 said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We absolutely believe the Christmas story the way it's written in the Bible. And everyone said, It's an absolute, non-negotiable. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, the Son of God, God in the flesh, a God-man. Jesus is not a figment of the imagination, the Apostle John said. Remember in the first chapter of 1 John, he said, that which we've seen, which we've heard, which we've touched... He could have said, remember the gospel. I was there when he died. I saw the empty tomb. I was there when he appeared in the room on Easter Sunday night. I was there when we had breakfast on the beach. I was there when he ascended back into heaven. He is real. He is the Son of God. He lived among us. J.I. Packer wrote this, and I put it on the screen. The Almighty appeared on earth... As a helpless human baby, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. I found that to be true the more I think about it. The more I think about it, the more staggering it gets. I have preached a lot of Christmas messages, but every Christmas it becomes more profound to me that God would become one of us. The more I see of human nature, the more amazed I am that God would become one of us. Tim Keller, in his preaching, he preached this, Christianity is the only faith that tells you that God lost a child in an act of violent injustice. Christianity is the only religion that tells you, therefore, that God suffered as you have suffered. We have a high priest who's touched with the feelings of our infirmities because he's been here, tempted like we are. We sang about that this morning. We celebrate that communion. God entered our world to suffer in our place. He died and rose again to deliver us from sin and deliver us from ourselves. That's the gospel. To deny the deity of Jesus is the spirit of Antichrist. To deny the deity of Jesus is the spirit of Of Antichrist. Any cult that tells you Jesus is not God incarnate, one with the Father, is Antichrist. The Quran talks about Jesus, the prophet, but not Jesus, the Son of God. Antichrist. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist which you heard was coming and now in the world already. He said, when you hear people teaching, when you hear people teaching here, when you hear me teaching, you need to put it to the test. Does it line up with the scripture? Does it line up with the truth? Jesus is the son of God that he became man. He said, if this teaching does not acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, it's not from God. I don't care how good it sounds, or, or how many good things it does, or how many people seem to be helped. Any teaching that does not acknowledge that Jesus was the only Son of God, became man, and died for our sins, John said that is not of God. It's Antichrist, it's of the devil. John wants these folks to know they have a responsibility to judge the teachings and the prophecies that are given in their gatherings. Not everyone or everything that is spoken in the name of God really comes from God. You see, we have an enemy. I don't like to talk about him much, but today we're going to talk about him a little bit. We have an enemy. He'll do whatever he can to bring confusion and deception into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms or heavenly places. We all realize there is a devil. We are all aware of some of his dirty deeds. We all know that ultimately he's behind all kinds of things like drug addiction, alcoholism, immorality, gang wars, murder, hate, so on. But I want you to know that he does not always come wearing a black hat and a smoking gun. Sometimes he looks like one of us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11:14, in that context, he's talking about false prophets and false teachers. And he says, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. (coughs) Eve was not deceived in the Garden of Eden by some evil-looking dude. He looked beautiful. He looked like a friend because Satan is a master of disguise. Scripture talks about how sly he can be when Jesus says false prophets and Christ will appear and will perform many great signs and miracles. Now I know I believe in miracles. I believe in signs. But not every miracle and sign you see comes from heaven. I didn't say it, Jesus did. And now I repeat it. He said, It can deceive even the elect, if that were possible. When I read the account in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus said to the the twelve, Who do men say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist, Elijah, reincarnated. Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but the Father who is in heaven. You have a great revelation. That's in verse 17. In verse 23, Jesus speaking to the same man, says to him, get behind thee, Satan, because you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. The same person who a moment earlier had been blessed because he had a revelation from the Father, is now speaking the words that Satan has put into his mind. Jesus, you can't go to the cross. I won't let that happen on my watch. And he said, get behind me, Satan. In case you haven't noticed, I try to back up everything we preach with a solid foundation from the whole counsel of the Word of God. It's important, the whole counsel of the Word of God, because I can take any one Scripture and make any doctrine that I want. And there's been a whole lot of that done. As you hear preaching here on the radio... TV, wherever, test what you hear with the whole Word of God. If somebody gives to you, says, comes to you say, says, I have a word of, from the Lord for you. The Lord gave me a word of prophecy, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom for you. Here's what the Lord says to you. If it doesn't line up with the whole counsel of the whole Word of God, they just had a moment. Where they thought they were doing good. But they weren't. It needs to line up. That's the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming, verse 3, and now is in the world already. The spirit of Antichrist has been here since the birth of the church. There are multitudes of people looking for the Antichrist. I mentioned this a week or two ago. They're looking for the Antichrist. I've heard of several people where they brought to you scriptures and they proved to you that this person has to be the Antichrist. Gorbachev, Henry Kissinger. Remember when Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist? Um, Stalin. On and on it goes. And of course, there's that computer someplace in Scandinavia that's turning out chips to put in your forehead that say 666. 666. You can study all that you want. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. And if I'm looking for Jesus Christ, the Antichrist is not going to bother me because my eyes are fixed on Jesus. I'm not so worried about the Antichrist, but I am worried about the fact Satan comes at us from all kinds of angles. We are at war. There is a spirit of deception at work constantly. Constantly. There's all kinds of propaganda being fed to us on a daily basis that has its roots in hell. By the way, I almost forgot. If you haven't voted yet, get your ballot turned in. Vote. Vote. Pray and mark those little circles. Put it in there and sign your name and take it to the box. In the name of equal rights, we're being told that God was mistaken when he said homosexuality is a sin. It's just an alternative lifestyle. In the name of family values, we're told the Bible is wrong when it says to spank your children and train them according to the Bible values. And it's wrong to make them memorize the Bible scriptures and go to church if they don't want to. That's child abuse. In the name of individual rights, we're being told that abortion is the right of a mother. It's okay to to help people end their lives in assisted suicide. They have a right to die in dignity. It's okay to play God and decide who lives and dies. In the name of saving the environment, we are told that the creation is more important than the creator. On and on it goes. The lies of Satan... Taking our society down one step at a time. He's ever at work to deceive us into laziness, into apathy towards God and towards each other. There's an enemy out to get us, but listen, I am not afraid and I am not fronting, I'm not running, nor should you be. Let me read that again. I'm not afraid. I am not running scared nor should you be. And everybody said Amen. because little children verse 4 says you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in you than he who's in the world. Satan has his hordes, and they're always on the job. Once in a while, he gets in a good lick and may cause us to stumble and stagger. But he is not going to win the war because we are the children of God. We belong to God. We overcome in the name of God. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb that we sang about this morning and the word of our confession. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The next note, now you're going to have to write really fast for the next few minutes. God dwells in his people. God dwells in his, he lives, he abides in his people, number one, by his Spirit. By his Spirit. He dwells in us by his Spirit. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. John sixteen seven. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I will send him to you. I will send him to you. And then he takes it a step further. And actually, if you go back a couple of chapters, he told them this earlier. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. He will be in you. One of the promises we have as born-again Christians is the Holy Spirit inhabits this vessel of clay. We are never alone. We are never alone. He is always with us. He's always with us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? God dwells in his people not only by his Spirit, but by his Word. He dwells in us by his Word. And there are some things that I've imparted to my children, some good and some bad. Wherever they go, whatever they're doing, I will always be there because there's things that I put into their brain. For the rest of their lives, they will remember I'm broke. I have no money. I'm broke. When the girls would come to me, Dad, my response was, I'm broke, I have no money, I'm broke. They will always remember, I don't think that's necessary. When they'd ask me for something, for permission, for something, I don't think that's necessary. They didn't like that answer. That's probably why I gave it more and more, I don't know. But there's things that are in their hearts in their brains. The really funny thing is, I've heard them say things to their children that they said they would never say to their children. (laughs) The things that I said to them when they were misbehaving. In a far greater, more profound way, God lives in us through his word. He lives in His truth. And if we give heed to the Word, it will bring victory to our lives. If we will give heed to the Word, it will bring victory to our lives. Psalms 1 says, if I, he, The man who meditates in his law day and night will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and whatsoever he does will prosper. I want to consider some verses from Psalms 119. Psalms 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, is all about the Word of God. Verse 11 says this, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. King James says, I've hid your word. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've stored it up in my heart. How does that work? When it comes to a crossroads, a decision to be made, the Word of God will guide me which way to go. I've heard, I put it in my heart so that in that moment of temptation, I will take the way of escape that you provided through the Word. I'm going to read quite a number of verses. Verse 89 says this, Forever, O Lord, your Word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. Verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. By them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me. For I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I've seen the limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Oh, how important the word of God is, because God abides in us by his word. Letter B, God is greater than Satan. Four people believe that. God is greater than Satan. Number one, God is independent or sovereign. And Satan is dependent. God is independent or sovereign. Satan is dependent. While it is true that Satan works all kinds of havoc in this world, he is still in subjection to the power of heaven. He is in subjection to the power of heaven. Remember the story of Job? When could Satan touch Job? Only when God said you can. How far could he touch Job? Only as far as God said he could. You read Paul's story. Satan has given me this thorn to buffet me. Paul said, Lord, take it away. And the Lord said, no, you need that thorn to be totally dependent upon me. Satan is dependent upon God, allowing him to do what he does. Daniel 4.35, And he, God, does according to his will among the hosts of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can say to his hand, or stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? He's talking about God. God is in charge of it all. Nobody can bring him into question. God is sovereign. He's independent. God is infinite. Satan is finite. God is infinite, but Satan is finite. However great the power of Satan, it is Limited. It is limited. I told you you have to write fast. His intelligence is limited. He does not know everything. He does not know everything. His power is limited. His intelligence is limited. He does not know everything. Paul wrote. In 1 Corinthians 2, eight, None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If Satan understood everything that was going on, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory because that was his defeat. He walked into a trap. Because you remember when Jesus said in uh, Revelation 1, I am he who was dead, now I'm alive, and behold, I have the keys of hell and death. His agencies, Satan's agencies and instruments are limited. He is not all powerful. He is not all powerful. And the duration of his power is limited. The duration of his power is limited. We read in the book of Revelations, chapter 20, verse 10, there is coming a day when he will be cast into the lake of fire that was prepared for him and his angels, where he will burn in torment forever and ever and ever and ever. God, on the other hand, is infinite. God, on the other hand, is infinite. His intelligence, he is omniscient. There is nothing that he does not know. There is nothing he does not know. In intelligence, he knows everything. He has perfect wisdom. In power, he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. I love the song we've been singing recently, There's Nothing That My God Can't Do. There's Nothing My God Can't Do. So we're going to agree to believe for greater things, because there's nothing that our God can't do. Amen? Amen? Every war that Satan has waged against God he's lost and in the final battle between right and wrong who's going to win the one who rides on the white horse said he is the king of kings and the lord of lords in duration he is the God who was and is, and is to come. He is the God who was, and is, and is to come. There will be no end to our Heavenly Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They always were, they always will be, eternal. He is the great I Am, not I was, not I used to be. He is the eternal only wise God, never come to an end. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. God is the God of truth. God is the God of truth. Satan is the father of lies. John 8, 44, Jesus said he's a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies. It's his native tongue. When he speaks... He lies. Truth is a permanent and victorious force. Lies are transient, feeble, and doomed to extinction. I'll run that by you again because they didn't put it up on the slide yet. Truth is permanent and victorious force. Lies are transient, feeble, and doomed to extinction. Satan's whole kingdom is built on lies. It cannot stand. It will not stand. It will ultimately be destroyed in its entirety. The power of God, on the other hand, is the power of truth and holiness. It will continue and grow eternally. Number four God is love, but Satan is malignant, he's hate. God's love and Satan hate. Read the story of Cain and Abel. God says to Cain, "Sin is crouching at your door," and it was manifested in hate towards his brother, and the first murder was committed. No matter how persistent, how strong hatred be, may be. It's no way as persistent and patient and powerful as love. Love can overcome anything. Love can overcome anything. If we all Told our life story here this morning. How many of us were written off by other people as being unredeemable, a mess that God couldn't even fix. But there was a moment when we were overwhelmed by the love of God, and transformation came. Those of us that had issues bound by sin, set free. And today we can say I'm a child of God, living in the freedom of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? Paul said, everything in this world is going to pass away, but faith, hope, and love will remain. And the greatest of these is Love. The one thing I want to leave with you today is this. Greater is He that is in me than He is in the world. Is your body full of sickness, disease? Greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. Is your family under attack? Do you feel like your ministry is a failure? Are you filled with fear because of the world we live in? Are you discouraged because your family is not serving the Lord? Are you discouraged in your spiritual growth? You try so hard, but it seems like you never get to the next level. I want you to understand this today. Satan is a liar. The only power he has over you is what you give to him when you surrender your body to do what he wants you to do and your mind to think the thoughts he wants you to think. The only power he has over you is what you give to him when you surrender your body to do what he wants you to do and your mind to think the thoughts he wants you to think. I want to encourage you, if you've asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, he lives in you. He's there. You can change. You can, you can choose to surrender your mind, your body, your spirit to his control today. You can live under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. You can resist the enemy, the Bible says, and he will have to flee. You can leave this place knowing again this morning that there's no weapon in his arsenal that is going to prosper against you. I do not want to sound flippant about spiritual warfare in any way. But as long as the Holy Spirit is living in you, and you're walking in obedience to the Lord, Satan has no more power over you than Wiley E. Coyote had over the Roadrunner. (laughs) And I'm not trying to be flippant. But the word says, no weapon, no weapon, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. We all have battles. There will be difficult days. There will be moments that things will happen in your world and my world that we cannot explain. But know this. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I want you to stand and go back to 1973 with me.